I want to do a, a shout out to our our person who who left oh, us. Yeah. A, hold on, let me let me pull it up because honestly, I've been having a bit of a rough a rough time this past like collective five days. Mm-hmm. Um, got my second COVID shot and it destroyed me as a person. <laughs> um, on top of just being really busy and and because I planned mine so I would have it over the weekend, so it almost feels like my weekend just didn't happen because mm-hmm. I felt like garbage the entire time so when we got this this nice uh thing that i can't find review why don't i know how let me do it <laughs> gosh jeez rachel Wait, I think, am i figuring it out now am i figuring it out now no i can't find it what the heck oh boy um okay it says <laughs> it's by well i don't know well i don't know the name just says fave podcast ever and i presume that you it's because you like make type your... that for us <laughs> yes um and so it, it says love this you guys have been following me on instagram for a while and i have been following you too and liking your posts like a stalker it's fine love that um finally got a chance to listen and i love it this is awesome smiley face whoever you are um you're our fave person ever so what a coincidence kisses, kisses to you some belated valentine's kisses <laughs> um so we totally appreciate the um review um yeah like let us know who you are you'll be entered into our giveaway um and other people who are listening you know i'm sure it only took her or him like or them like two seconds to do that so you know you and should just join, join the party life <laughs> like guys i need some positive energy right now yes seriously seriously send it all my way <laughs> um so fun fact i'm recording in the living room again and we have a guest here <laughs> jarell is here hi jarell like, <laughs> laying on the couch rachel says hi <laughs> I thought you meant that you like had someone staying over with you guys and I was like who on earth are you having over on a Tuesday um we don't even let people into our apartment I can't think of like a I think I let Emily in here once (laughs) yeah I don't think I've ever been so yeah no I think I remember you brought Ollie outside and I met Ollie and Ollie was like just crazy yeah you parked so your car happy. at my place once that was about it. oh my god back in the oh my god you're bringing up all these horrible <laughs> back when this was a fun fun time so uh, i had my car since i was a grad student my plates were illinois but i was in colorado and in order to be able to drive, or I needed to renew my registration or something, but the only way I could renew my registration was by getting my car emissions tested, and I went in to get it emissions tested, and it kept failing. So I was like driving around on an expired registration. I couldn't park in my own apartment building's <laughs> parking lot because my registration was expired. Um, 
I parked on the road and I got ticketed for that. Um, but like I, the, the problem was though, after you get your emissions tests and get your repairs done, it can take a little while of driving around before, um, you can pass. So I think I went there like three times to this emissions testing place before I was able to get a positive thing. And right, like I couldn't, I couldn't even park in my own apartment. Like I got, they put like a sticker on my window that I had to like get off with like a razor blade. Um, it was not a fun time. Everyone, it was just, everyone was mad at me. And I was like, please don't give me a ticket. Like I'm going back to the emissions place. Like I just need to drive on this for a while. I think, I think I put a note in my window that was like, "Hi, I'm a poor graduate student." Oh no, 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 no! I wrote contesting the ticket that they'd given me for parking on the street with an expired mm-hmm. license or not license, <laughs> uh, license plate, registration. yeah, registration, whatever. I was like, "Hello, I'm a poor grad student," and like I just had to pay a thousand dollars to get these repairs done, and it was like repairs that didn't even need to be done. It was just something stupid. Um, and I was like, I've been to the emissions place three times. I attached all my documents. And I think they knocked my ticket from like $75 down to 45 And I was like, yep, I'll take it. Um, I find it interesting that they came after you like that because um, I feel like driving around the past couple of years in Denver, like half the people don't have a license plate at all. What? <laughs> like so many people don't have a license plate. I've seen people with like registrations that like say like 2018 um i see people who just like put like a cardboard like placard (laughs) in place of a license plate or people who have like the temporary like tag um like you know when you just buy your car or whatever um that are like outdated by like six seven months um and this was like even before covid so yeah (laughs) like i don't know why they came after you so hard (laughs) i don't know i think that car carried bad luck with it because i that car too was weird because when you put on your blinker, your the light uh, that you're turning with goes out or something something like that. But it was like designed to be that way. I think it was like your one light went out to make it easier to see the blinker or something, whatever. But I always got pulled over because they thought that my um, my headlight was, was out. out, and yeah. I was like, "Can you look and see? No, it's not out. Can you let me go?" Um, so I think I got pulled over like four or so times for that. And I have crippling anxiety. <laughs> so every time I got pulled over, which is like, oh my gosh, it's like such a privilege to say. Because they were like, I don't know. I think I like might have accidentally handed them my credit card one time and said my driver's license. Like I was just so nervous and scared. Yeah. And like, I don't think anything <laughs> bad would have happened to me. But I just don't like authority. I, I've only ever been pulled over once. Um think i'm pretty sure i've only been pulled over once um but even like whenever i see a cop like i like my whole body goes cold like my ears start throbbing and i like so even if they're just hanging out on the side of the road um like i like feel very nervous and i'm constantly looking at my rear view until i can't see them anymore (laughs) but um the one time i got pulled over oh i was totally speeding but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like not really I like kind of but it was also like the Florida turnpike and so I'm like no one else is on this road it is meant for you to speed like that's mm-hmm. why it's here um, <laughs> and so I'm driving on it and get pulled over and I, I knew I was get, I saw the cop and I tried to slow down in time and I was like oh, I'm getting pulled over um, and so I pull over and my mom's in the car and the moment the cop pulls up 
because I my mo was gonna like play dumb and like just be extra nice and just like oh my god like I'm on the, I'm on my way to like my wedding like tasting which I really was um and the moment the cop gets to the window my mom's like I told her to slow down <laughs> oh no wait what I love that. <laughs> She's like, she never listens to me. She never listens. I'm dead. And I literally, like, jaw dropped. (laughs) I was just staring at my mom. She sold you out. That's amazing. (laughs) I was like, what game are you playing, woman? Like, this is ridiculous. And so when I called my dad and I told him I got a ticket, he was like, oh, you didn't try to, like, talk to them? I'm like, well, mom told him that I was speeding (laughs) and that I wasn't listening to her. And so... He was shocked, so he played. He paid for the ticket because um, oh. he said it was my mom's fault. <laughs> so, Seriously, my mom is like one of those people that can get out of tickets. Like she just knows the right thing. Because like I feel like every time I've pulled over, what I try to do, um, I've gotten pulled over for speeding once, and I totally got a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, this was years and years ago though, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna own up to it. I'm not gonna like. I'm not going to pull a fast one. I'm not going to cry. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't know what was happening. I'm just going to do it. And then the cop will, will like, I'll apologize and, and they'll not give me the ticket. They still, they gave me the ticket. It was so expensive. And I, <laughs> then I, then I started crying and I called my mom and she just kind of laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc, etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pink collar underscore pod. <sighs> All right. So let's get into it. As um as per usual, um please like, rate, subscribe, I guess. I think we already said that, did we? No, we just talked oh. about our review, but we need to tell them. They're going to withdraw the review now, and they're going to say... <laughs> anyway, so yeah, like, comment, whatever. We're still doing um, We're still doing the giveaway, I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess. What's the book called? Uh, Whoever Fights Monsters, guys. Robert yeah. Ressler, one of the inspirations for uh, the whole, like, mind hunter business. It's yeah. seriously such a good book. Like, even if you hate our podcast, just leave a review so that you can have a chance to win it. It's it's really great if you love yeah. true crime and for some reason haven't yet read it. And for every review um, that people do in general we will be donating a dollar to the national center for victims of crimes um so yeah like we want to give back guys we want to get back help us do good cool cool so this week rachel let me pick the topic guys oh my god (laughs) i shouldn't have (laughs) rachel was like basically dead this weekend so i had to do it so yeah just kidding this is a team effort guys um, prepare and- for your second covid shot <laughs> have some advil handy um or you might be lucky and nothing will happen to you <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> but yeah so i chose like children like little i guess girls in general they don't have to be like under 18 minors 
to commit murder. Um, because how fascinating is it is murderous children, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Loved it. So it was great. I had a really hard time, I will say, picking um, a case because, wow, I'm shocked at how much there is out there. (laughs) Yeah, and how depressing um, they all are. So I took a little bit of a different direction of I wanted to find a case that had some good information and is something that I don't necessarily think should have been classified as a murder but according to the way that our laws work now um, that that's the way it ended up um, so I'll be doing the case of Brisha Meadows so on July 28th 2016 um, it wasn't much different from a typical day in the Meadows household Brisha Meadows who was 14 at the time had grown used to her father's drinking He would drink, and then he would start fights, and that's just the way things were. She knew he would get physical with the rest of the family, and things only got worse when he had a little booze in his system. Typically, her mother, Brandy, was the target of his violent outburst. Brisha recalled multiple incidents of coming home and seeing her mother with a new black eye. She also recalled an incident where she heard a loud thud. When she went to investigate, she found her mother out cold on the floor. Not surprisingly, her mother didn't even remember this happening. Her father usually had the decency to close the door when he was hitting his wife, but if he was drunk, he would often forget and leave it open, allowing his children to see the horrific abuse. Brisha had uh, found... Oh, gross. Um, Sorry, I had like a typo. Brisha had fond memories of her father tucking her in as a young girl, despite their complicated relationship. They had developed a routine based on the Cosby show. He would offer up his cheek and she would blow a raspberry. They called it I, a, a Zerber. I did not Oh, a Zerber. I loved that. That was cute. Yeah, so they, got, they had they, that from the Cosby show. They'd be like, I Zerber you. <laughs> Aw. That's cute. That's cute. Um, but this all changed when Brisha was eight years old. That was the first time her father molested her. She was told the abuse was their little secret, so she couldn't tell anyone. But she did start to ask her mother if they could leave. When Brisha was nine years old, Brandy had a stroke and was hospitalized for a week. This was a wake-up call for Brandy. She didn't want to die and leave her kids with their father. When Brandy recovered, she took the kids and went to her mother's house in Parma, Ohio. Brisha and her two older siblings, Brianna and Jonathan Jr., um, came with. Brandy and Jonathan had been married for 17 years, and during that marriage, Brandy was cut, had broken ribs, broken fingers, burst blood vessels in her hand and her mouth, and countless black eyes. She had more than enough evidence to file a protective order and uh, was able to detail years and years of abuse. Um... She'd gotten out, but she was certain if Jonathan ever found the family that she would be killed. So after she had gotten out, Brandy finally disclosed the heart-wrenching details of her relationship to her sister, Martina Latessa, a Cleveland detective. On average, it takes about seven attempts for someone to leave an abusive relationship, and the most lethal time in an abusive relationship is often after a victim leaves. Um, And I want to take a second and say this statistic or these two statistics are quite grim but i also don't want them to deter anyone from escaping an abusive relationship there are many resources out there like uh 
I don't know if I typed that right, but uh, like the National Domestic Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, you can go to their website or give them a call. They, It's even great. They offer the option to like close out of the website quickly in case you're worried about someone, um, you know, looking over your shoulder, seeing what you're looking at. So you can do it as privately as possible. And we also will include um, links to those resources down below. Just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Um, so like I said, often there's multiple attempts to leave before uh, finally leaving and Brandy did return to Jonathan after her escape. I encourage you to withhold any judgment. Women who are in these situations have to constantly make risk-benefit analyses. Um, she was worried Jonathan may kill them if he found them. Living in fear every single day is hard. Um, like imagine being worried to send your kids to school or let them go to friends' houses, you know, worried they might not come back, or being worried every time you had to go to the store or every time you went to sleep at night that, that this person might find you. There's also like this complicated, I think like emotional element too, where you don't like I'm, I'm sure that despite all of the abuse and like how mentally and emotion emotionally draining it was um that there is still kind of this like love or dependence like that you that it's hard to kind of get away from um <clears throat> but also this there I think for a lot of women there's this like belief that like you still want your kids to have like a like a family a father like that type of situation and so that might not be the case for um like her like this mother in particular but I I do like I've read and I've heard Mm -hmm. like plenty of things where it's like well I don't want my kids to grow up without a father like I want them to be in a two-parent household despite the situation being incredibly bad or toxic or dangerous um so other considerations no that that too and i think there are many families who are encouraging of people to sweep abuse or or certain like that divorce may not always be an option or leaving your partner might not always be an option you know kind of this pressure to um stay together for the kids or or think that everything's all right and two you brought up a great point um with like codependency codependency can exist in these relationships which is when each party is so dependent on the other in like a very unhealthy way um yeah and just complicated feelings of you know i think people who are abusive tend to go after people who are very caring and you know they take advantage of the fact that that someone um will try to care for them will try to fix them um which in by itself is is such a wonderful quality to have and such a terrible thing that someone might exploit that um but back to the story so not surprisingly things only got worse after the family reunited jonathan felt betrayed after his family left and was now paranoid that they would leave again the family wasn't allowed to talk together because they might be planning another escape at 12 years old brisha was raped for the first time even though yeah, she shared a room with her older sister. Jonathan would wait until she was alone to attack. Brisha ran away from her home at the age of 13. Um, she ran away to her aunt's house. Her aunt noticed a significant change in Brisha's demeanor since the last time she saw her. She was now withdrawn and closed off. Brisha told her aunt how the uh, violence and threats had escalated. 
Jonathan threatened to shoot his family and had begun strangling Brandy during fights. The presence of a gun increases the risk of homicide to, uh, by 500% um, if uh, someone's in a domestic violence situation. Um, so that's why it's important. Uh, gun safety is such an important thing. Um, having gun locks, if you're able, if you're in that situation, or gun safes, um, just to enforce you know keeping things as safe as possible but hide the bullets yeah if possible somehow i don't know um you know there i think too just based on our history we have like a, a mild knowledge of you know gun safety and just in general that's you know an important thing i think to protect guns from kids or um you know from yourself if you're, if you're going through a, a tough situation gun locks gun safes hide bullets all good things. Um, but so Brisha wasn't able to stay at her aunt's house long because her parents had reported her missing. Uh, Martina had Brisha memorize her phone number and took her to the Warren Police Department to put together a report. Brisha had not told her aunt about the sexual abuse, but Martina sus- suspected there was something going on after she noticed cuts on Brisha's arm. She knew that self-harm was common for women who have experienced molestation. Martina did everything she was supposed to according to the law but nothing would ever come up from the report. And that's, I think that goes to show in this case how especially sad and scary it is. It's like, you know a detective and you're not able to get whatever it is you need from the cops. Like some, there was something seriously wrong here. So many points where someone could have stepped in and really disrupted this horrible um, cycle, but so a couple months before July 28, 2016, that day we were talking about, the family moved to a new home. Brisha finally had her own room, and usually this would be an exciting time for a teen. I know I had to share a room on and off until we moved to a new house when I was uh, 15 or 16 years old, but this was not the case for Brisha. Now there was nothing standing in the way of her father attacking her when she was sleeping alone. This interfered with her sleep, and she developed chronic headaches from the constant anxiety about her father. Brisha tried to run away, but each time she was brought back home. Brisha learned that there was no punishment for her father. Nothing ever happened to him. She felt so hopeless. This led her to make an attempt on her own life. But luckily, one of Brisha's friends uh, stepped in, intervened, and stopped her. So this takes us to the night, July 28th, 2016. We now know the background of Brisha's childhood, the constant and relentless abuse her family faced at the hands of her father. Jonathan was passed out on the couch, so he wouldn't be able to fight back. 14-year-old Brisha took matters into her own hands, finding the gun her father kept under his pillow. She picked it up, put it back down, picked it up again. She worked up the courage to move forward with her plan. She pictured her mom passing away, her older brother and sister moving out, leaving her alone with her father, she knew the abuse wasn't going to stop. It was just going to keep getting worse. Brisha had a hard time remembering the events of that night, not surprising to someone or for someone who experienced a traumatic event, but she does remember pulling the trigger. Her mother would later tell her that she screamed, but Brisha doesn't remember this. She did remember going into shock. She ran upstairs to the bathroom, got in the shower, fully clothed. She hoped the cold water would help her snap out of it. When the police showed up to arrest her, she was soaking wet. They allowed her to change into dry clothes before taking her away. 
but all of the officers who responded to the scene were men and insisted on staying in the room while Brisha changed. Um, How old was she again? She was 14. 14, okay. Which, I don't care. Even if you, like, were just, like, a punk kid who was doing something bad for the sake of being, like, stupid and you wanted to change before you got arrested, like, there's no way adult men should be in the room with you while you're changing. There's no... Yeah universe <laughs> where that no, is okay yeah. um 100 percent. yeah that, that that wasn't what i was getting i don't I just, even yeah yeah i don't even um, care if like you egged a house and like now you're getting arrested and like something that's probably 100 percent your fault and just you being like a little scumbag kid there's no universe where that is okay i wouldn't yeah. even feel comfortable changing clothes in front of an adult male that i you know wasn't my boyfriend like that's ridiculous honestly um, that the to me the fact that the like i don't know if that was the exact thing but um i think you said you know when the officers came to arrest her the fact that they came to arrest her like it's kind of that's insane to me like at most i'm like come bring her in and talk to her and yeah i like it, it's crazy to me that well you have a history you have a report laying around somewhere that says how abusive this girl's father was so Mm -hmm. uh whatever uh so clearly this was probably pretty traumatizing for brisha who's already in the middle of a full-blown traumatizing event and considering her history of abuse would it really have been that hard to have like a woman officer dispatch the scene or just be able to be present while she's changing uh i don't know um but this was all, like, like you were saying, this was shocking to Brisha because she didn't think there was any way that she would be arrested. Clearly, she was acting in self-defense. How could anyone disagree? Mm-hmm. Brisha was taken to the Trumbull County Juvenile Detention Center and was charged with aggravated murder. She was terrified. She knew she was in trouble and was worried about being tried as an adult. And if convicted, she may have to spend the rest of her life in prison. So, parasite or the killing of a parent is an extremely rare phenomenon, despite what you were saying. I think that probably just all those cases are very much overreported. Um, well, in, in those cases, the girl wasn't the one doing the killing. Like, they tell their boyfriend to do it. Oh, so, got it. Got yeah. it. True. Also, children killing adults that aren't their parents is a thing that happens. Um But according to Kathleen Hyde, a University of South Florida professor hired as an expert witness by Risha's defense team, less than about 50 children under the age of 18 in the U.S. kill their parents each year, which still seems like a high number to me. You know, yeah, 50, yeah, one one per state. Um, It's most common for them to kill their parent while their parent is asleep or otherwise incapacitated because this is the only time their parent will not be able to fight back this is a rational choice for children um if they try to defend themselves while they're at imminent risk um it's not likely they'll succeed so this makes situations complicated in the eyes of the law because most self-defense laws only justify the use of lethal lethal force when someone is at risk of imminent death or serious bodily harm this law applies to adults and children with no exceptions. Um, and I think we touched on this too in cases in the past when we've talked about um, women with abusive partners. I think it's kind of the same thing of knowing um, if you're a woman and you are um, not, you know, men can pretty, uh, if uh, your partner can easily overpower you or or whatnot, you know, you probably aren't going to try to defend yourself to the point of 
uh, killing them if even if your own life is at risk because that could make things worse um but according to Paul Moans, a lawyer who specializes in cases where children kill their parents, there have been a few cases where um, testimony is allow- allowed using the defense of battered child syndrome. Um, don't think that's a PC term today since we don't use battered women syndrome, um, but you understand the, the basis of it. However, it is disappointingly common for children in the situation to be charged as adults and sent to prison for at least 10 years, which like, what? what um children of color are at an even higher risk of being charged as adults in the u.s uh outside of any murder or situation like this uh just at a higher risk brisha's mother is white and her father was black so she was put at a risk for being discriminated against by the system um We know that children's brains are not fully developed, which means it's likely that they will reason differently than adults when placed in stressful situations. Their judgment and reasoning are different from adults just solely because they aren't, like, grown up yet. Like, that's the only reason. It's not that they're ignorant or that, um, you know anything else just they just need to grow up um so in 2012 the supreme court did acknowledge these differences when they ruled it was cruel and unusual to sentence a child to life in prison without the possibility of parole justice elena kagan wrote for the majority and said that sentencing a child to life also does not allow the courts to consider their home life and that children typically aren't able to remove themselves from abusive households because look brisha obviously tried to escape multiple times and wasn't able to um how much control over her life did she have essentially none like this was quite literally her last resort and i can see exactly why she thought that way after the arrest the media started to take notice of brisha's case uh brandy went on a local tv station a few days after the shooting and in the interview brandy said her daughter was a hero which i agree she said i wasn't strong enough to get out and she helped me her aunt also did interviews talking about brisha's multiple escape attempts at the time of the interview martina was a detective in cleveland's special domestic violence unit she was actually inspired to pursue this route after seeing her sister's family struggles So she knew that her position would allow her to add credibility to the family's claims of repeated abuse. This was especially important as Jonathan's sister came out saying her brother was a good father and would never abuse his family. Uh, So, I mean, I think we are all inclined to turn a blind eye to our family or want to defend them. But I think that like that just agree to disagree. (laughs) Like, respectfully. Oh, I mean, <laughs> if I were to learn that anyone in my family was a horrible abuser, I would absolutely disown them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to reason why <laughs> someone might think to do that. But whatever. She's probably going through her own stuff. Yeah. Um, so, Brisha was struggling even more after her arrest, despite being able to finally escape her abuser. In jail, she did not have access to a therapist or the ability to seek a medical professional for any reason other than prescription refills and emergencies. Brisha was suffering from flashbacks of the night. Even the sound of her cell cell door uh, opening could trigger a panic attack for her because it sounded like a loud pop, similar to a gunshot. Brisha was taught by another girl in juvie how to inflict self-harm with a hair elastic she would later be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder so currently in jail she was 
having untreated post-traumatic stress disorder as a young girl. That's messed up. And outside of the jail, activists caught wind of Brescia's case. They knew a young black girl was four times more likely to end up incarcerated than her white peers. So a GoFundMe was established for the family, a petition was written up, and people started collecting books for a book drive. While in prison, Brescia began receiving letters from her supporters, encouraging her to stay positive and calling her brave. Brescia didn't feel brave. She felt that she was so desperate to escape her situation that she literally had no other option. She didn't feel strong at all. Her attorney was under a huge amount of pressure. One mistake and Brescia might end up in jail for the rest of her life. The December after her arrest, Brescia got some good news. She would not be tried as an adult. The longest she would be held in prison would be until the age of 21. And while that sounds like good news, it also was a long time for Brescia. This meant she would spend the rest of her childhood behind bars. And considering that her childhood wasn't going that great so far, that's just would be such a disappointment. Just like being in her father's home, she would continue to be powerless. Only now it would be the authorities that had the complete control over her life. While in prison, Brescia's condition got worse and worse as she spiraled into depression. She just needed help, which I feel like is probably true for most, if not all, kids in juvenile detention. On May 22nd, 2017, Brescia was offered a a plea. Uh, so she pled true, which is the equivalent of pleading guilty in juvenile court to an involuntary manslaughter charge. She spent 299 days in juvenile detention. Her sentence was a year and a day, but she did receive credit for time served. She was also sentenced to six additional months at a residential mental health facility and two-year probation. She was only 15 years old when this sentence was handed down, which... Also, I feel like the six months at a residential facility is done in good spirits, but I think mm-hmm. that's just further instability. And considering yeah. that a lot of residential facilities are understaffed, have consistently changing staff, have staff that aren't qualified, um, mm-hmm. it's just not a great thing. Like, uh, not always yeah. a good place to be. <sighs> so I think she might as well be in juvie for those additional six months as well. I don't think that, you know, there would be much improvement there. But uh, Brisha has returned home, um, you know, after completing her her sentence. And she used to be a chatty, bubbly girl, but now she avoids big crowds and she expects the worst out of situations. She wants to go to college to study criminal justice and she might become a lawyer or a detective like her aunt. Uh, or maybe she'll be a domestic violence advocate so she can support others who have had the same experiences as her. Um, she was quoted from the article, uh, the HuffPost article that I, I looked at. Uh, most of the kids, uh, this is um, in reference to the kids in juvie. She said most of the kids just need help, you know. Um, they always had something behind why they were there not like an excuse but you got to remember a kid has a kid's mind we don't have adult minds and so it's like for them to incarcerate us as if we're adults it just crushes us it messes with the mind a lot actually which also I feel like is true for probably a lot of people in jail that they just yeah need help um and also crushes them to be in jail um I I do recognize there are people out there who do bad things that probably need to be separated from from causing additional harm to others but also um i think in a lot of cases it's a system that has 
overlooked them for years and they probably needed treatment a lot earlier on. Like we always say, early intervention. Um, but as for where she is now, uh, Brisha was quoted saying, I feel lucky, but I also feel bad because like, how am I any better? I can't do much, but I feel like I'm supposed to be doing or supposed to do something because there are maybe kids that she might have met or kids that she's aware of that were in the same situation as her that didn't get, it's sad to call it lucky, but weren't so favorably looked on by the law that might still be in prison. Um, And that's just messed up. And, you know, she's lucky in a sense that she got out of jail now, but look at all the horrible things that she had to endure. Um, Look at the position that she was forced into because authorities didn't step in sooner. (sighs) Just It's almost... It's almost like because they sentenced her, because they, because effectively they're putting the blame on her. It's like they're absolving themselves, like the legal system, the authorities are absolving themselves of their own irresponsibility. Because, like, if you connect the dots, odds are she would not have been put in that situation had there been intervention from law enforcement in a meaningful way. I just and so it's don't like, well, understand how this even happened. Like, yeah. This wasn't that long ago. I feel like this can't be the excuse of, like, oh, if it were in, like, the 70s or 60s, like, oh, we just didn't really have uh, good established care. But, like, Mm -hmm. we have mandated reporters. Like, I'm a mandated reporter. I think you, if you're not currently, will be a mandated reporter. Teachers are mandated reporters. Like, if people suspect child abuse, we have to report it. There has to be a report done. A social worker would probably be required to, like, go to this person's house and check things out. Um... I don't understand what happened there. Like, yeah. the ball was just dropped completely. Yeah. But it's like, you know, again, none of that would happen, like, had, you know, any existing report, like, been taken um, more seriously. Like, I just feel like by her admitting guilt or, you know, doing, like, the true thing to manslaughter, then it takes... It shouldn't have even gotten to that point. Uh, yeah, it takes the responsibility off of law enforcement and, like, her local government and places it on her um, for a situation that she wouldn't have been in had there been, like, appropriate um, intervention. Had she been protected the way she deserves as a minor, um, like, I think that there is a duty for, like, not just the adults around you, but for your government, for, you know, your law enforcement to protect you when you are not able to protect yourself. Um, And so it's disappointing. Um, I will say, and this might not be a hot take, but, (laughs) like, personally, like, her mom was there, like, when the shooting happened, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I just feel like my role as a mom at that point, I'd be like, I'm the one who shot him. Like, I, and mm-hmm. obviously, I'm sure that there was some thought of, well, you know, if you connect the pieces of the situation, then, like, I'm sure she'll get off. Like, it's real. Obviously, that's what actually happened. You're not supposed to lie to law enforcement, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, don't lie to the police. Uh, but. Well, too, she didn't know what was happening, and she could have still yeah. been in shock. Like, and the police just showed up, and maybe, like, she was still holding the gun. Or, like, she had just run up into the shower, well, like, probably looked yeah. very suspicious. And, like, well, a kid like that who just went through that, like, 
Well, first of all, she didn't think anything was wrong, so she probably told the cops, like, I shot him because he's a terrible person. Yeah. I'm not thinking anything bad was going to happen to her. I don't know. I just feel like my my instinct, um, like, if I were a mother in that situation would be, and I'm I'm not faulting anyone for how they chose to handle the situation. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, they did they did what they like what they felt was right they did you know the right thing i guess um between brisha and her mom is it brandy brandy yes um yeah and so for sure i'm just saying me like yes you know like my like my moral compass might be a little different than others (laughs) (laughs) yeah unfortunately the police may be able to like rule out that you didn't do it if you didn't have like gunshot residue on your hands or whatever but it's the thought that counts i'm sure (laughs) i yeah yeah Oh, hopefully, hopefully Jarrell never puts our kids in that situation. Yeah, Jarrell. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Nope. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, that's really, really. It's disappointing, and I feel like there's so many of these cases that we've gone over, like in you know pretty much almost the past year, where one of the biggest, like, contributing factors to the crime is the system failed. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's just disappointing that, yeah. Like, it's disappointing when the system fails in general. It's especially disappointing when it fails and, you know, effectively influences or impacts um, some like a little girl's life yeah. forever, a child's life. Like radical um, idea. Like, what if our tax dollars went towards you know like uh, funding the system and like helping others instead of like imprisoning them in jail and like private prisons and like you know having private companies make money off of other people's suffering like just a thought you know like well that's a thing at the end of the day I think the intervention programs typically are shown to um save money in the long term as far as Mm -hmm. you know if you provide resources earlier on then you're having to um provide less resources later in life this person goes on to be a functioning member of society that pays their taxes um so by doing early intervention plus it's like just the good human thing to do of like if someone needs help then help them (laughs) as opposed to like wanting all your money to go to locking people up and being not productive members of society like i just hate that agreed (sighs) agreed early intervention like just you know for our our listeners listeners out there um don't hit your partners don't hit your kids no like chill don't do that sorry we don't curse no you know what i will i will say that people who are abusive often came from abusive situations and so again it's like the system failed them so they're just continuing this thing and that's not to say that like they're absolved of any judgment but like if you notice yourself having these urges or having these thoughts before acting on them like please go get help like um you know yeah i am doing very much the opposite case i was telling jarell all about it yesterday and we were like this little girl (laughs) i think i think jarell's first (laughs) his first reaction was like oh she's possessed (laughs) Oh yikes! So I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna offer very little um, empathy. 
Um, and you know what? That that I guess is just going to be a character flaw on my part. Um, but yeah, I'm not team Mary Bell. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I am not either. Um, okay, so Mary Bell was born in 1957 in Newcastle upon Tyne, Northumberland, England, which God, England, like y'all are great. More extra (laughs) (laughs) Newcastle upon Tyne. Um, anyway, uh, so her mother Betty was an often absent sex worker. Um, And so she was actually only 17 when Mary was born, and it's believed that Mary was conceived through Betty's work, thus making the identity of her biological father unknown. And Betty eventually married a man named Billy Bell, who became Mary's stepfather. Billy himself was regularly in trouble with the law. From what I could tell, it was more like petty crimes, like kind of, you know, like about to get in a bar fight or um, things like that. Um, But he... Uh, was eventually arrested at some point for armed robbery. Um, I can't tell if Mary's mom was still doing sex work when Mary was growing up. Um, Like a lot of the sources made it seem like it was just while she, like before Mary was born, like before Mm -hmm. she got married. Uh, But still you can, you know, probably assume that there was some instability in her childhood home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at a very early age, Mary began to display violent tendencies that um, wouldn't be taken seriously enough until it was too late. Um, and so just before she turned 11 years old, Mary Bell and her friend Norma Bell, they were not related, um, found a three-year-old boy who was actually Mary's cousin behind empty sheds near a pub. Um he was bleeding from his head. And so the original story of what happened to the boy was simply that he'd fallen several feet off of a ledge, landing on the ground. Eventually, Mary admitted that she was the one who pushed him off of the ledge. So, not, not nice, Mary. The next day, Mary decided to attack three girls who were playing by the nursery. And so the nursery here as far as i understand it is not a place for plants it is a school um for yeah like nursery regular. like <laughs> nursery rhymes i guess whatever <laughs> like i thought well to me like nursery is like for like almost like a preschool or something right this i would was think like, for infants yeah but this was like just a straight up school for like interesting i would say like elementary school pretty much um And so, yeah, they were playing um, at the nursery, like, outside. And so Norma was standing nearby, but not with Mary. And so according to one of Mary's victims, Mary had, quote, put her hands around my neck and squeezed hard. The girl, in this case was Mary, took her hands off my neck, and then she did the same thing to Susan, end quote. Like, Mary. Susan. Um... Yeah, and so this time the authorities were actually called. Um, Norma actually gave her own statement because she was standing nearby and watching. And so she said, Mary went to the other girl and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? And then Mary put both hands around the girl's neck, or sorry, around the girl's throat and squeezed. So, okay, Mary. And the, uh, oh, uh, (laughs) uh, sorry, Norma's quote goes on. The girl started to go purple. I then ran off and left Mary. I'm not friends with her now. Um, so that was... Probably a good call. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so the official report of the incident dated May 15th, 1968 said, uh, quote, the girls bell have been warned as to their future conduct. So, um, I guess that's British for like, we told them not to do it again. Um, and so 10 days later, so the day before Mary's 11th birthday, a little boy named Martin Brown had gone mi- missing. Martin was four years old. He was last seen alive at about 3.15 that day. By 3.30 p.m., two boys playing in a condemned house found Martin lifeless. With <laughs> playing blood. in a condemned house? What? That's so I mean, random. I guess know, kids were, like, allowed to just do whatever. Like, your parents were like, get out of my house. Don't come back till the sun goes down. <laughs> See, I'm sorry. I watch, that just seems ridiculous. I watch, like, a ton of, like, the, like, olden, like, even in, like, the 50s, like, um, British shows. And, yeah. Like I, they're they're. I oh, feel we're like just gonna like, go play in a condemned house. Yeah, I feel <laughs> to me. That was a really good accent. Um, I just feel like their life was different, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, they were playing in a condemned house and they found Martin lifeless with blood and saliva running down uh, the side of his cheek and neck. One of the boys noticed Mary and Norma outside of the house. Martin was lying near a window. Mary and Norma had stopped just below it. Mary asked, shall we go up? And they squeezed through the boarded up windows. Mary wanted to show Norma what she had done, but there were adults already at the scene. Um, They thought nothing of it, and they just simply told um, Mary and Norma to go away because they just assumed that they were either being, you know, just like those little boys and, you know, just playing in the house, or maybe they heard some of the commotion and wanted to see what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so, despite the blood, police couldn't find clear signs of violence on Martin. Uh, no visible signs of strangulation or any marks on his body. There was an old bottle of pills found near him, and it was empty. And so, they considered that maybe he accidentally somehow swallowed the pills. But I also, I feel like, I mean, I guess it's possible. I, I don't know if they had, like, safety guards on pills back in, like, 19... 19- 60s i was gonna say too like a child dry swallowing pills yeah chewing them up i feel like you would spit them out but then you hear like cases of like little kids swallowing marbles or magnets and stuff true i I don't know maybe it's just my overactive gag reflex speaking yeah yeah. i guess kids do swallow quarters and stuff Mm -hmm. And so for a while, they kept the case open, but they were of the belief that the death must have been accidental. Meanwhile, Mary sought out Martin's aunt. And this is where I'm like, this little girl, like she's something else. Um, So Mary sought out Martin's aunt and told her that an accident had happened. Um, And Mary explained that she'd seen Martin and there was blood all over him. Mary even said, I'll show you where he is. Um, and then, uh, Mary and Norma probed Martin's aunt with creepy questions. Do you miss Martin? Do you cry for him? Does June miss, does June miss him? And so June was, um, Martin's mom. And so the aunt was especially creeped out by the fact that while these girls were asking the questions, they were grinning the entire time. And so she sent them away and told them to never come back. Um, and so, If that wasn't enough, Mary decided to seek out Martin's mom, June. She knocked on their front door and asked June if she could see Martin. June, thinking this was like an innocent thing, she responded, No, pet, Martin is dead. Mary's response, Oh, I know he's dead. 
I wanted to see him in his coffin. <gasps> like, this <laughs> a weirdo. This little girl's unwell. Like, what? <laughs> anyway, so again, while she said this, um, Mary, like, she couldn't keep from grinning. She was just smiling. And so um, June was like, you need to get the heck out of here. Um, and so she later said, I guess, to either police or someone else, but it was reported that she said, I was just speechless that such a young girl would want to see a dead body. So I just slammed the door on her. Um, the following day was Sunday, May 26th, 1968. It was her 11th birthday. Mary was spending time at Mora, sorry, at Norma's home. Norma's father slapped Mary clear across the face after he walked into the room and found Mary attempting to strangle Norma's sister. This, um, yeah, so I'm just like, it's like she got a taste for it because, like, the first incident happened. Then 10 days later, she tried to, like, choke these little girls. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the next day, she apparently, like, I don't know, something happened with Martin. Um, And then the following day, she's, like, trying to kill her best friend's little sister she's got something going on and maybe like i i don't even know what to say about that um and so on monday morning so that was may 27th the following day when the teachers at day nursery got there they found the school had been ransacked with school supplies thrown everywhere and um, somebody had poured like cleaning products all over the floor They also found four notes left in the school. And so I will read the notes. Some of the words are bad words that I will not say. Um, And so first note, I murder so that I may come back. The next note, some of these I think have typos, but I'm going to read it as is. It says fudge, which I think maybe the H was supposed to be a K. Um, um, So it says fudge of we murder watch out fanny and the f word that has been used negatively against people who are homosexual um which we should not use anymore um and the next note said we did murder martin brown f off you bastard um the following note said you are micey why be curse we murdered martin go brown you bet look out there are murderers about by fanny and ald the f word again you screws so i don't know what any of that means uh, um, sounds like <laughs> a bunch of gobbledygook but i think Clearly, I mean, children learn behaviors from others, so there must have been, I don't know if you, like, go into it later on, um, but, like, she had to have heard that word, those words somewhere, learned those, like, that phrasing from somewhere, um, even learned the act of strangling others. She probably, like, witnessed someone else doing it or was on the receiving end because how would a child think to, to come up with doing that? They didn't yeah. have, like, violent TV back in, in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, um, as far as I know, like, I couldn't find any, other than what I've said about her background, I couldn't find any other, like, real information on, like, her parents or anything like that. I, you know, potentially maybe there was even, like, you know, some sort of case, like, in the city or whatever, wherever they lived involving, like, strangulation, or maybe, you know, her mom or father 
either did it or was involved but well her father wasn't know. around right they didn't know who her father was well her stepfather well she has oh, okay. her stepfather's last Got name it. um so I, I presume he adopted her or whatever it was you did in the 50s in england um and so the notes were given to the police and they decided that the notes must be some kind of sick joke uh mary eventually later said that they wrote the notes for a giggle Uh, That same morning, Mary had drawn a picture of a child in the same pose that Martin was found in. Next to him, she drew a bottle that said tablet. Uh, She'd also written in her daily class journal, quote, on Saturday, I was in the house. My and my ma'am, so mom, I guess, sent me to ask Norma if she would come up the top with me. We went up and we came down Magritte's Road, and there were crowds of people beside an old house. I asked what was the matter. There had been a boy who just lay down and died. Mary's teacher read the note, and she didn't think it was weird. Um, That said, she did note that Mary was the only person who um, had written about Martin's death, and so she just maybe thought maybe the other kids had, like, weren't. Like, maybe, you know, because Mary, according to this thing that she wrote, had, like, walked upon the house and saw Uh that this was happening. Like, it was more relevant in her mind. Things stick to kids differently. So she just didn't think it was weird. And so that Friday, Mary and Norma were caught breaking into the nursery again. Um, But obviously, they weren't caught the first time. But this time, the school had installed, like, a new alarm system. So they got caught. The girls deny that they were the ones who had broken in uh, the first time. Um, In the following week, Mary actually attacked Norma near the school's sandbox. According to a boy who watched the attack, Mary scratched Norma and kicked her in the eye. Then Mary screamed, I am a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Confession? Clear as day? (laughs) Like, what is wrong with this kid? Um, Okay, so she screamed, I am a murderer, pointing in the direction of the condemned house that Martin's body was found in. Then she said, the house over there, that's where I killed. (laughs) Kids. Um, Not subtle. Not subtle at all. (laughs) But people, apparently Mary was just like a bit of like a liar and a show off. Like she would just say outrageous things, which is not surprising based on the character that she has shown so far. Um and so they just assumed that she was just being weird and nobody take her nobody took her seriously um and so i think also part of that was most people at this by this time was not like assuming that a little girl would kill a kid you know even nowadays knowing what i know i would not think a little girl would be capable of murder mm-hmm. or any child for that matter well, now that I know about Mary, I'm like, I ain't sleeping on any of these kids, okay? Okay, so a couple of months later, in July, uh, Mary visited the home of a local family, the house. And so she said to the people who lived there, the house, um, I know that, sir, she said, I know something about Norma that will get her put away, straight away. Norma put her hands on a boy's throat. It was Martin Brown. She pressed and he just dropped. 
Um, and to kind of emphasize her point, she had put her hands around her own throat. Um, and then, so yeah, she just said that and she left. Um, Norma did not do that. She, I think, because Norma knew that she had done it. Um, like, she was just trying to, I guess, you know, spread a little bit of seeds. Um, and so... I'm not sure how the house like reacts reacted to her doing all that, but I probably would have been freaked out. And the kids say the darndest things, nah, don't they? <laughs> I'm going to your house. I'm talking to your parents. <laughs> like this is not okay. Um, and so on July 31st, 1968, a three year bo- a three year old boy named Brian Howe disappeared. And so Brian obviously related to the family that um, Mary had just visited um, a few days prior. And so um, during the search, um, Mary approached Brian's sister and told her that he might be playing on some concrete blocks um, that were dumped on a close by, like vacant lot. And so um, surprise, surprise, guess where they found Brian? Um, And so he was found, you know, by, I don't know, in some vacant lot near some concrete blocks. Poor Brian. Yeah. And so... Brian was found with a number of small cuts on his body, and he had been strangled. In addition, they found the letter M carved into his stomach. At some point, um, officers began to think that it was possible that another child was responsible for killing Brian. The medical e- the medical examiner found that relatively little force was used to kill Brian, which um, was another thing. Because they're like, if it was an adult, we'd at least see like bruising, but he was clearly suffocated. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. And so they ended up interviewing 1,200 children. Norma and Mary, of course, were also interviewed. And they, their answers were described as evasive and suspicious. They were questioned several times and changed their stories twice. Um, Mary at one point had said that she saw in older boy hurting Brian um and so at a certain point Norma broke down and accused Mary of squeezing Brian's throat Norma told the detectives that Mary had told her I squeezed his neck and pushed up his lungs that's how you kill them keep your nose dry and don't tell anybody Norma said that Brian's your nose dry what kind of (laughs) saying is that I mean it's the it's the 60s in England I guess keep your nose dry um, mind your business? I don't know. I don't Okay. Know. I just, I don't know. I'm not Also, British. they interviewed 1,200 children. I mean, that's what the, that's what my source said. That's <laughs> the time. Um, people who are investigating multiple child murders. I suppose, but that's like, God, can you imagine... I'm sorry. I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't like all individual. I'm sure they like walked it like at some point. Like we're oh, walking no, into classrooms point. and we're like, "Does anyone have anything to tell me? I'm going to talk to you all." You know that right. sort of thing. Okay. Um, but this is also my speculation. I was not alive in the '60s, nor have I ever been to England. Um, and so, yeah. So Norma had said that Brian's lips were purple. And she also said that Mary ran her fingers across um, Brian's lips. Norma told them that Mary said that she had enjoyed killing Brian. Meanwhile, Mary actually accused Norma of both squeezing Brian's throat and making small cuts. Sorry, and making small cuts on his body with a razor blade. 
Investigators told Mary that a man came forward and claimed that he had shouted at some children who were nearby where Brian would later be found, letting Mary know that the man would probably be able to recognize her if she was the one who was there. Mary responded, he would have to have good eyesight. The investigator probed, why would he need good eyesight? Hoping that he would catch her in a lie or that she might say something um, like where she like admitted guilt maybe something like because he was really far away you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and but like mary actually hesitated for a second she started to answer then she started hesitating and i guess she somehow figured out like what the investigator was trying to do and so it's like she she goes like because and like you know hesitated and then she goes because he was clever enough to see me when i wasn't there (laughs) oh that was good this girl, I'm like, how are you 11? There wasn't TV at this. Was there TV in the 60s? <laughs> Trust is yes. <laughs> Thanks for being um, there. <laughs> um, okay, I guess there was TV in the 60s. But there wasn't like tons of children's shows. Or like, I bet it wasn't common for every house to have a TV, especially if her home was like lower income. Yeah. She might not well, watch TV. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know nothing about this girl. Um, she, yeah, whatever. (laughs) And so regardless, there was enough mounting evidence against both Mary and Norma to convince the investigators that both girls were in one way or another responsible for Brian's murder. And so on August 5th, police had arrested both Mary and Norma. When Mary was placed under arrest, she responded with, that's all right by me. (laughs) Tough guy. There were, like, so many quotes, and I didn't include all of them. There was, like, one where, I guess, where she, like, was being held, like, in jail or whatever. She, like, tells the correctional officer, like, you know, it's not that bad to kill people. Like, everybody's got to die at some point. Like, just (laughs) saying, like, the most, like, ridiculous things. Like, oh, you know, like, it's not that scary to, like, suffocate someone. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) you need to stop um and so the trial began in december of 1968 norma was acquitted of all charges because she wasn't involved mary however was accused of two counts of manslaughter for both brian and martin what is going on are the police coming for you oh you know i live near hospitals and like a fire station so sorry guys um so yeah uh mary was convicted of two counts of manslaughter for uh the deaths of or sorry the murders of brian and martin um so the reason that she was convicted of manslaughter instead of murder was because of something called diminished responsibility psychiatrists described mary as intelligent manipulative and dangerous they also believed that mary displayed classic symptoms of psychopathy um so i guess being a psychopath or sociopath i don't know Mm -hmm. um leading the courts to believe that her psychopathy was the driving factor behind her murderous behaviors thus quote diminishing her responsibility for the crimes um which i'm like okay um i'm like it's still in her so whatever i don't know yeah i feel like that's too just so hard to diagnose in children Mm -hmm. um i'm no expert by any means but also like i think with children it's more important to consider like the environment that they're coming from than like 
the fact that they're just like born evil or are like bad. I, you know, this but is where maybe I'm they like, are. I'm, maybe a kid could totally be born evil. I think that this one was. I think that she, I don't know, like it, she didn't just try it once. She enjoyed it like multiple she times in public. She would would be a good candidate for empathy training. <laughs> like early on. <laughs> There are interventions that you can do to help um, with psychopathy, but she she also sounds like she was in a not-so-good place. But that's, like, philosophically. I don't know. Do you believe that people are born good or born evil? I think that most people are born, like, blank, slate, whatever that theory, that Tabla that Rosa? Said. Yeah, like, you know. I minored in philosophy. <laughs> I believe that to some degree but then you look at certain behaviors and i have to believe that some people are inherently evil and like i'm totally fine with being judgmental against an 11 year old girl like i don't think she's not evil i don't think like i i i genuinely and you know i'm a big proponent of like early intervention but I don't know if early intervention would have helped this girl. I really don't. Um, right. Because, like, the entire time she knows it's wrong. She's like, don't you dare tell anybody. Like, True. Like, she's being very calculated with what she's saying to police. She's going around to the murdered children's family members and essentially taunting them. Like... She, she's you know when you watch like criminal minds they're like oh yeah the the serial killer will insert themselves in the investigation she's doing that she's breaking into schools and vandalizing things like she's writing crazy notes like i don't know i would still hope that she could benefit from early intervention but she also sounds like i'm afraid of her and that like i you know as a catholic like, I obviously, as a Catholic who's also rational, <laughs> I obviously don't believe in, like, exorcism. However, I, this girl could have used, like, a holy water bath. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah. Um, where was I? So, the judge described Mary as dangerous. He felt that she posed a very grave risk to other children. That was a quote. Um, her sentence was something called being detained at Her Majesty the Queen's pleasure, which that sounds British. really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> We're detaining this child at the pleasure of the Queen. Like, ew. I hate yes. That. So, oh boy. Um, and so that is basically an indefinite sentence of imprisonment. Um, so basically, whenever the courts um, decide to let her go, no Queen. Queen Elizabeth was definitely queen. She's been queen for a thousand years, right? I think since um, the world began. Like, right? Since the world began? Yeah, like a long time. <laughs> like the earth was created and she was just there um, on, a, on her little throne. The well, dinosaurs did, roamed around. She did have a father who was king before her. Um, but, I don't know. She's, yeah, no, she definitely was queen at this point because like yeah she had to be um so yeah no queen elizabeth had nothing to do with like her like sentence or being released i think that's just what they call it um so the... no she was personally keeping her in her movement <laughs> at like her pleasure 
well, I mean, they could have been like, yo, queen, so listen to this. Like, we've got this little girl. She's like, uh, lock her up. I'll let you know when I'm ready. And then, release. like, they ask her every day, and one day she's like, it is no longer at my pleasure. So what, then, do they hold her at the queen's displeasure? Do they <laughs> let her go? Like, what? what's the protocol there? I mean, I would assume she probably would have just, like, forgot, because how many other people at that point would be held at the queen's pleasure? Plenty, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no. So the courts basically just decided to, um, or they would just decide how long to imprison her. Um, and so while she was in prison, her mother often sold stories about Mary to the press. She also gave recorder, sorry, she also gave reporters writings that she said were from Mary. Overall, Mary was far from the ideal prisoner. In 1970, Uh, She accused one of her correctional officers of indecent assault, which I assume also is British for, like, sexual assault or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was later acquitted and found innocent of any wrongdoing because, surprise, surprise, Mary made up the entire story. Um, And then in September of 1977, Mary escaped from the Moore Court open prison which i don't really understand what an open prison is Uh, i assume it's probably a prison where they just like have open air so like a courtyard (laughs) like somewhere for the for people to like not be inside all day um and so yeah she and another inmate had escaped and so they were gone for about three days until the authorities found them during that time mary had met two boys with whom um she and the inmate spent the night and so tabloids caught news of this and mary i guess gave an account to them about how she like lost her you know virginity to these boys and so she like just became like a sensationalized like news story um like throughout like i guess from the moment that they knew a child had done this murder um, mm-hmm. but throughout her like prison sentence i like from what i was reading i have reason to believe that that like didn't actually happen but it was just something that mary like sold to the press for like attention mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and so mary's penalty for running away <laughs> which I thought was very stupid, was that she lost a lot of her privileges at the prison for 28 days. Like, in America, you get, like, years added onto your sentence for that. But obviously, we don't have the best, like, um, criminal justice system, so I guess I should not be comparing. Wait, was she also still a child at this point, too, or? Um, 1977, so she was 11 in 1968, so nine years. She was an adult. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so in 1980, Mary was released from prison after serving 12 years. She was 23 years old. She petitioned the courts to give her anonymity and a new name, which she was granted. By 1984, Mar- Mary had given birth to a daughter, and she petitioned the courts again, this time for anonymity for her daughter. Her daughter had no idea about what her mother had done in the past, not until reporters had figured out Mary's identity and her location. Um, So they ended up having to, like, flee their house with, like, bedsheets over their head. And so that's when Mary had to be like, well, just so you know, when I was By the way. I did a couple things. A couple murders. You know, I've been around the block. You know, I've been possessed. (laughs) So. Oh, God. Um. And so, um, in the beginning, um, 
the anonymity for Mary's daughter was originally granted for for her daughter up until her daughter turned 18 years old. But Mary once again petitioned the court for lifetime anonymity for both her and her daughter, which the courts again granted. Eventually, she made a similar petition for her granddaughter, who was born in 2009. Um, so she, her granddaughter also has lifetime anonymity. And I'm curious how long, like, was her granddaughter going to have a kid and get, like, lifetime anonymity? I'm curious how long that's going to last. You would think it would only have to happen once, and then your kid would get a different last name. or Yeah, or at least give their kid a different, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, well, I'm at, sure, like, those, after like, Mary dies, like, no one's going to care. <laughs> did she have a partner at this time? Like, her, would her kid even have her last name? Would it be the the man's last name? Wouldn't well, that she be had more? to... I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, true. But she still changed her name, and she, I guess, had been changing her name over time. So, presu- like, your kid doesn't have to have your last name. You could, like, give your kid the last name Shrek if you want. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> Like, it's up to you, you I'm know? I'm calling dips on that. <laughs> I want to call my kid Rachel Shrek Jr. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's just interesting to me to that her, like, almost, what's 60, like, what, 40 years? No, that's more than 40. What's the difference between 2009 and 1968? <laughs> I don't know. A lot. So a lot of years between the crime, maybe four, I don't know. Um, oh, Jerome's like telling me the answer. 41. <laughs> so yeah, I would just feel like at 41 years after the crime, like, I don't know. Like, do people still care that bad? Like for your granddaughter to need anonymity? I'm not sure. Um, anyway, so because of this, now when a criminal is granted anonymity in England after being released from prison, they call it the Mary Bell Order. Um, so I guess she'll always live in infamy, I guess. Weird. Um, yeah, so that is the case of Mary Flora Bell. Um, I don't like her. <laughs> like, I don't, I think that, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that I don't think that murdering I don't think that being a child and murdering other children is okay. Um, oh really? Yeah, sure. That's like a very controversial. Controversial? Like you don't think kids murdering kids is okay? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'm just yanking your shit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but yeah, sure. Fine, I'll say early intervention probably possibly could have helped her. It could have at um, least protected other children. If you know a kid is a danger to others. Yeah, I mean, especially, like, when she, like, you know, dropped her cousin from, like, several stories. Um, Like, rather than, you know, don't do that again or whatever happened. Like, I think there could have been some type of stepping in that said it was, you know, the 60s. Um, also it seems like this area of England was more so like kind of lower income, maybe Mm -hmm. slightly impoverished. So who knows what type of like social resources there are. I've seen on Reddit a lot of complaints about the national health service in England. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, who knows if she could have gotten that intervention. But, yeah, I do think that certain steps possibly could have been put in place to protect other children since those were her victim of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she probably wouldn't have been able to, like, kill an adult. They could well, yeah, themselves unless exactly. they were sleeping. Well, you know, like, there are some kids who, like, attack adults. Like, there are some, you know, obviously they can't hurt them but like they unless they're like know. a big kid Some yeah kids are huge Mostly. one time when i was in middle or no when i was in elementary school this girl she was like i don't know i was a sh- i was short because i was like a third grader <laughs> and so from my estimation she was about six seven <laughs> <laughs> um and she kind of lost it one day i'm not really sure where her shoe was but she like was like she ran into my classroom she wasn't even the same grade as me um and she started like destroying everything and so they had to like barricade the room and like put oh, like wow. padding up and stuff um and she was like attacking and being super aggressive i don't know why i brought that up oh no you said big people <laughs> big kids attacking um that made me think of that yeah that's sad. um yeah yeah i hope that girl's doing well um now wherever you are i hope mary bell is doing well i hope her kid is doing well she's but still also alive. yeah i mean I think she's only in her 60s now, 70s, 80s. I don't know math. Oh, good. I hope. If it's the 20, yeah, she's in her 60s. It doesn't sound like she reoffended as an adult after she Who got knows? Out of the, the government was letting her change her name every few years. So True, who knows? but weren't they at least keeping an eye on her? They, they knew that she had a different name, or were like people going missing suspiciously around where she was living? Like, I haven't a clue. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's genetic. We hope it wasn't passed on. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm sure we would have heard more, I guess, about that at the very least. They were a murdering family. Yeah. I also hope the families of like Martin and Brian are well. I hope the family, I hope all the people who like living in such a small town like that, where everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, that type of trauma, like, community trauma can be, like, devastating, especially for, like, kids. Mm-hmm. So, I just hope everybody is well, and I hope that, like, no children strangle other children again. That's Thanks. a pretty controversial statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. You know me. Oh, my gosh. I hated that. I almost wish that you had gone first, because at least mine... <laughs> There's some hope at the end. (laughs) Whatever. Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.